It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. It's Wednesday, July 3rd, 2019. We're finally back in the same country. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome back. And in half an hour, it'll be 4th of July. Oh, yeah, that's right. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday, America. Uh, to Things celebrate that, uh, I'm going to show you something I've not practiced at all. Great. This is a rope trick. This is a rope Chris trick. Is holding ropes. There's three uh, of the same size rope. Uh-huh. Um, and then, what do I do? <laughs> okay. Uh, Off to a... Oh, yeah. Now I have smashing a small, medium, and a long. That's pretty cool. Right? Um, and what's cool is all you have to do is take the three, and then they're all in the same That's length cool. again. Yeah. Yeah. So when I described that to you, do you did you know how that worked or no? Not you really. Were, you, yesterday, I think you said you had trouble picturing it. I did. It's basically this. Right. This plus this. Okay. And then this plus this. Right. It's really kind of confusing. Yep. You can do it like right. You could do that without that gimmick, couldn't you? Um, yes, if you were good at me doing this. I think there's moves in the routine that are like, um, like I think there's a move where you go right. like this. I mean, three equal length ropes turning into three. Oh wow! Yeah, I see. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris was thumb palming two segments of rope as if they were one piece of rope. Yeah, and it looked good. Yeah. That's um, Dan Harlan's. The Awakening is what Ooh, it's called, because because it's not a nightmare that a professor would have. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I love dumb magic trick names like that. Um, not that that's dumb, Dan Harlan. Yeah, that like uh, Three Fry. Like, hey! Oh, boy. Uh, so I'm back from Sydney, Australia. Welcome back. Thank How, you. Uh, jet, you mentioned jet lag today. It's hitting you pretty hard today during was Toy Story 4, or Toy, Toy Story, as I'm calling it. Toy Story Forky. Yeah. Uh, is another uh, yeah it was hitting me very hard um, because there's a I don't know what it is about a quiet dark room with comfortable chairs that would make the jet lag <laughs> set in um, it's yeah it's not the it's weird because I it's not fatigue in the regular sense I mean you must have experienced this after the the lecture tour with shoot mm-hmm. but it's not just being tired it's like oh there's a part of my cognitive brain that's like missing right now there's there's some form of rest that I'm lacking because yeah i've actually been going through that the last couple of weeks prepping for this fringe show and i think uh, it's also been a lot of stress are you having some degree of insomnia um it's i don't know what you would call it but it, it's uh i'm having a lot of trouble sleeping uh-huh. um a lot of trouble sleeping i would call that insomnia well and then I, well, the, the problem is that so i'll fall asleep at 3 30 a.m uh-huh. and then i I keep trying other solutions but i, I just absolutely cannot pry myself out of bed earlier than like 12.30 or 1 in the afternoon. Oh. Um, sometimes like one thirty. So you're sort of having anticipatory depression. That's really what it feels like. I'm like, am I depressed right now? Um, like I, I keep, I'll, I'll set my alarm clock on like the other side of the room, so I have to get up, turn it off, but right. I, my willpower is just weak enough. So I set my alarm for 9 o'clock every day, and it just every th- way I try it. Uh, but then what I, what I found, like this happened to me today, and I was able to kick myself out of it, is if I force myself out of bed earlier than that natural time, I'm ex- I'm like weak all day. Yeah, it's like I'm at forty percent. I sort of had day. that today and yesterday. In fact, um, Tuesday, the day after we got home, I was supposed to have a Skype meeting with a potential cast member for Voldemort, the other show I'm producing, and I set an alarm and literally have no memory of the alarm going off or me turning it off. And Eric was like, "I think you." It, by the way, this is an alarm on an Alexa, mm-hmm. which means I have to wake up and say Alexa cancel alarm for right. it to stop playing and he said he thought he heard me say that i don't remember it at all right um also i got one of these in uh, austria i spent a lot of money on magic in australia chris i didn't want to me a large dildo this um, is inappropriate chris yeah no i'm kidding it's not uh that's this is big 
Do you mind? Yeah. By the way, it just came with this, and it didn't have any instructions on how to use it. It might be flipped, maybe. Oh, no, it's not. So... Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a thing that exists. This is a... Scotch and soda? Yeah, this looks like a scotch and soda to me. What is... It, what's funny is it really came with nothing. Like, it came with no, like, real routines right. to it. So what is something you would do with that? No, I haven't looked at a scotch and soda in five ever. But this is going to lock together to make a copper coin. Yeah. So it's basically like you can do whatever you want with a silver coin. You know, I, I don't know. Um, it's yeah. funny because they implied that there were all these different things you could do with it. and uh, Right. And then the actual thing came with no instructions. Yeah, give me a few minutes to think about it. It also didn't tell me how to use that. And what I later discovered is called a bang ring. Yes, a bang ring. Uh, but like it just had that in there. And I was like, yeah. I wasn't even sure if that was a thing. Because I also ended up, I got this one, which doesn't have that. Um, this is another one of those. But this doesn't have a ring that comes with it. Oh, interesting. By the way, I almost spent that in Sydney. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I they're sort not on of, euros though. Hmm? They're not on, this is the euro. They're not on euros. No, I think uh, I Australia, might have gotten. I might have. Australian dollar. Yeah, I might have gotten that right before. By the way, Australian currency exchanges makes things very okay for us because the U.S. dollar is pretty strong, <clears throat> but prices there are crazy. All right. Um, like also a, in Sydney, I wonder if that. Yes, that is definitely a factor. But for, here's an example in Sydney, uh, Central Business District, where I was staying, they had. Um, restaurants would advertise like, uh, come try our $17 lunch Ooh. as like a perk. Like right. this is an inexpensive lunch. Oh, uh, the hotel we were in was like, uh, our, now on Sunday, everybody can enjoy our $22 breakfast buffet. <laughs> and we had it once and it was an okay right. buffet, but not incredible. Not Which one are you being? You know? Oh yeah. Um, so welcome back. Thank you. Show uh, we both had, had a great run. Show had a wonderful run. Uh, um, lots of posts about like standing ovations and yeah. Although the fucking Sydney Opera House, That's I know it was really the whole thing was very surreal. Um, and then uh, from the the pictures that Eric posted from the very beginning, it was like that. Uh, were you in an apartment or a hotel? We were in a hotel. Uh-huh. Um, uh, that was gorgeous. Also, like. they didn't know that Eric and I were married, uh. so we had two separate rooms next to each other. Uh, it's like a double large room. Well, we asked for a like a larger room, and they um, they didn't have them. Like they have them, but the Sydney Opera House, I believe, has like a block of rooms that they. I assume that they sort of hire the same block of rooms over and over and over, mm-hmm. and then they don't rent any of the like two bedrooms or whatever right. because most of the time every artist would want to be in their own room. Right. Um. So Eric and I were just like, well, we'll just keep it. So we sort of had separate spaces and like, we'd just go visit each other. <laughs> like we were like college dorm That's funny. floor mates. Um, you didn't sleep in the same room? Uh, no. Huh? We, because we were both like, uh, like we, uh, we would one day like to have a king bed is, is, uh, we're both larger than average people. Yes. So, how big were the beds? Were they, they were both. They were both. We had two queen beds, mm. so we were like, "Well, let's just do this." And also, there was a degree of after a certain point, Eric's schedule was very different than mine, sure, because he was always performing. And after I directed, my schedule was very much freer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of let him work on his own schedule, mm-hmm. and also, um, like, it was interesting. Uh, this is, I, I think it happens to a lot of couples, but like sometimes 
when you're in a long-term relationship, sometimes it's delicate to say, ask for like your own space sometimes yeah. to like do your own thing. Right. When you're in two different hotel rooms, it's not as in your face that the other person is wanting to do something else. You know, like if he wants to watch television and I want to practice my zero shuffle, yes, um, which is like a fair amount of my time that I spent there. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it, it, you don't take it quite as personally when you're like not in the same space seeing each other ignore each other I, I'm still having trouble understanding you were in different hotel rooms where they were connected or we were they... in identical hotel rooms that were not connected but were right next to each other oh I see but you were in physically <clears throat> separate I thought it was like a, like a two bedroom no that's what we asked for and they didn't have that available oh I see I see I yeah. see um, we could have also just been like we'll just take uh, the one room no, I'm reading between the lines you don't love each other I, <laughs> yeah. I get it I, I, I picked it up uh, there have been studies shown that people that sleep in separate beds actually the quality of their sleep is better right um, because you do get amount, a certain amount of... Um, Ricky Ricardo is the most rested man in TV. Yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Um, For all that late night clubbing he was doing. Yeah. You'd think he was more up that... This is nothing. Did, did I tell you... I posted on Instagram that there was a point where my... Like, I started to uh, lose all faith in being able to learn a zero shuffle. I did see that post. Yeah. Yes. It was very... Because it was very well made. It looked like a... Yeah, it was an app called Font something or okay, whatever. Okay, yeah. It looked um, like a... It looked like an ad, to be honest. Well, because I I watched um, Robert Giobi Card College video on okay. the Zero Shuffle. Is it him doing it? It's him doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, he's got such an interesting voice. Oh, you like his accent or yeah. in general? Because I believe he is. He I, I believe he is of Spanish descent. Oh, I thought he was Swedish. Well, I I, I think like it's a mixture of both. Oh, okay. So he, uh, he speaks because he almost... like this uh, Swiss German. He speaks five languages. Yeah. And so I, I, it sounds to me like his, the only person. Are these yours or mine? Um, those are mine. Oh. Um, the, 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 who he reminds me of is I went, there was this innkeeper in Niagara Falls when we visited our family and her husband was uh, born and raised in Japan, but he had spent a lot of his life, I think he went to college or something, he spent years in Australia. Uh. So he had this strange Australian Japanese uh. accent and, and it kind of, you know, it just it kind of feels like a couple accents sandwiched together, uh-huh. um, but I could be wrong. It could just be a, a, a Swiss. Um, so, what is your? Are one of those decks regular this, enough yeah, that you this, can do a, a zero? zero? Yeah, yeah. There we go. I um, I've actually you um, don't use it that much. You're, I don't doing, use it a lot. I oh, I thought you were doing push through these days. No, no, no. I, I'm still not comfortable. I will mess up a push through maybe twenty percent of the time, and it, until I'm in it doing it. It's hard for me to tell exactly what is causing that. Uh-huh. Um, it's not like I go, oh, if I just fix this, all way, you know, I got to watch my pinky or something. Right. Every now and again, I'll feel two or three cards get caught, and so I'm not totally comfortable with it yet. I will do a truffle shuffle though, any day of the week, which um, which seems harder. Uh, I I believe it is. Was I, that invented by Derek Delgado? I I believe so. So that's my truffle shuffle. Yeah, that's um, great, and I'm very comfortable doing. By the way, that. I've tried that, and that seems impossible. It does. You know what? It, it, one of, one of the things is that you're just you don't realize. I think that you're subtly just training your. Um, in my case, my left thumb just to push so down. You know, the first couple times I did, it, I was hurting my thumb just forcing these cards down. But eventually, I think that muscle just builds up. Same mm-hmm. way does with the muscle pass. That's Wait, what you're doing. It. Do the truffle shuffle with just your left hand. Can uh, you? I don't know. What do, you, what do you mean? Just show what the left hand is doing. Oh, okay. It's almost like a card spring. Yeah, pretty much. By, oh, interesting. So um, so, here's, uh, so I, I would use Zero Shuffle for a long time. My Zero Shuffle, I don't think, is great. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, well, I have, I have some thoughts. Well, on let me shuffle. be the judge yeah, of that. So this is, this is my Zero Shuffle. 
That was actually a little messy. Let I me, think for a layman, that's completely convincing. Let me, let me try it again. Here we go. So that was my zero shovel. I think it's fine. I've done it a lot. I will still do it in shows occasionally. Yeah. But now if I, if, 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 I, if I can, I'll probably do a truffle shuffle instead. I think it looks a little bit better. Right. My problem with it is that the truffle shuffle almost exactly mimics the way I would really shuffle a deck of cards. If I were to shuffle this deck of cards for real, it would look like that. Whereas a zero shuffle, you'll notice, um, instead of just using my, my fingers <laughs> in the same way to put them together, yeah. I'm lifting them up. And then to cover this... This hand is going down, and I'm basically like pushing this entire block in right, with right. the palm of my You're hand. You're also doing this thing that makes me very self-conscious. The strip out? No, this uh, where you go like that. That part, I can't like necessarily get to look natural. Oh, that's fun. I'm not even trying to do that. I'm oh, ideally. okay. Um, so uh, a couple. So I've really always wanted to learn a, a stronger zero shuffle. Um, well, this is interesting. So I down, uh, downloaded Gary Plant's. Yes, I, Gary Plant has an interesting one that I have not. I'm not good at because that is a tough one. So his one one difference between him and Joby is he goes like this. He does. Yeah, he moves his hands further forward. That and then when he does this part, he goes like this. He completely covers this, like with his index fingers. Right, and he's also letting card instead of moving a block of cards up, he's letting, letting them fall, fall which yeah. is an interesting touch. Uh, Steve Reynolds is that his name? I'm sorry, sleight of hand fans, if I got his name wrong. Steve Reynolds is a... Uh, sorry, uh, 4F attendees. Um, Steve Reynolds is a good sleight of hand magician, and one year he um, gave a lecture at Magic Live. He did what's called a close-up clinic there, which is one of the little things they'll do on one day where uh, they have like this big ballroom, and um, they have about 11 different experts of a certain thing in sleight of hand sitting at a table, and you can and they're just talking about this thing for like an hour, hour and a half. Oh. You can go around, so like... Our Paul Wilson will be there talking about, and they'll say, our Paul Wilson talks about deck switches. Uh, you know, Steve Reynolds talks about um, the zero shuffle. So-and-so talks about uh, coin magic, stuff like that. Right. And it's, it can be, I'm pretty cool. I, I've tended to stop going to it when I go to Magic Live. Yeah. Um, because that's that, that happens at the same time as other things. Right. And I found that just for, for me, sometimes those have been a really loud and sometimes difficult to get as much value out of as these sort of like other lectures that are happening. Anyway, mm-hmm. he gave us thing on the, the zero shuffle that, um, um, was another interesting take on it. And it was kind of his goal was like, how do I, how do I make this look exactly the way it is a, a real shuffle? Right. And, um, and the problem with his is that a couple of car, he was doing the, the way he was teaching it was for, if the cards <clears throat> are divided into red and black blocks, uh-huh. And not a full deck stack, which is what I'm always using it for. Right. This was even before I learned to Monaco. It was a different trick that used a full deck used a full deck stack. So then I also watched Jason England. Okay. Um, uh, with my pants on. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he has a very him and actually Gary Plants. They have very different ones than Joby. So Joby has one card cover, the slip cut. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Plants and I believe Jason England have a thing where it's like you actually pull like. You don't do a slip cut. You just do a regular whatever. You do you do it twice. You do it twice, yeah. and then you have to like leave three on top. Yeah. Hold this break. Yeah. Do it again, and I'm yeah. like, oh my god, this seems like yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I, I think even the just, I'm pretty sure Steve Reynolds and, and Jason England are probably operate doing a similar thing. I think riffling down to only put three on top seems difficult. It is. It's it's and to do it again. Right. Right after that. So you do that, and then you like hold this break, and then you make yeah. sure you you pull from the break, and yeah, it's it's tough, it's, yeah. it's tough. So I I do the slip cut, but it it does come with that risk. And the problem what I was saying was is that um this these, some of these other versions I've seen where it does totally mimic like how a real shuffle looks uh-huh. um uh was was 
quite frankly, flashing to me. The the reason oh. necessity created this sort of these weird unnatural covers yeah. was to hide this giant block of cards clearly not being threaded with other cards or right. interlocked, interlaced with other cards. And these did not work their way around it to justify how cool it was, which is why I pushed through shuffle is now what I'm trying to learn because that yeah. is sort of the best of both worlds. It is. Uh, Joby does say that like um, the, you have to be judicious about the audience's eye level. Right. The, the lower they are to the table, yes. if they're seeing it like this and you're, right. they're seeing just that. Absolutely. It's not that deceptive. But that if they're like next to you, mm-hmm. that they're probably not even going right. to be able to tell. So this is the current share of my push through shuffle. Which you just started learning recently, right? Uh, no, I fucked that up. See, I just messed that up. Um, that was, was So here's a question. Let's say you're doing a Mnemonica stack trick. Right. You're not doing this currently in public. This I'm not. But for that exact reason. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I felt then what going you, into that. Then what do you do then? And, um, a different trick, I guess. In fact, last night we were at the Magic Castle and I showed you this Ollie Mealing thing that I just saw. Uh-huh. And it didn't work when we did it with Mary Lou the first time. Right. And actually, you've probably done this before, but like while I was falling asleep, I was trying to deconstruct how that went wrong. Yeah. Stack, like construction wise, and I couldn't figure it out. And I was thinking like, is that the is that where people should just keep an invisible deck in there? <laughs> like... Back pocket. I, yeah, so I've all definitely you you hear these jokes about people who always have like an invisible deck in their pocket. Uh, I've definitely seen parlor shows at the castle specifically where uh-huh. the, there's just a little invisible deck in the corner, just like lodged in between <laughs> some of that like uh, that molding on the walls. Uh-huh. Um, never ever referred to in cases of emergency, I assume. Right. Uh, and then I believe I, I heard Mark Wilson would say that like for his entire career performing, he always had a piece <laughs> of rope in his pocket. A piece of rope. Yeah. Just to... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I could make it just to hang himself with <laughs> if the trick doesn't go right. Uh, I love Mark Olson. He's a sweet guy. Sweetie. Um, um, no, but what would, it, would it to be like... How would that help you if you didn't find the right card? What do you mean? Or, or the, is the rope just to be like... Fuck just, it. Here's just, a rope trick. Well, especially when you're doing like, illusions or something. Like if yeah, something, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't really know, but it was. I think he, he didn't go into too much detail, but just the idea of like you always, 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 always have a backup. Yeah. Um, so we both have big deadlines coming up. We both have enormous deadlines coming up. Mine is really minor compared to yours. Um, I mean, or I'm not as stressed out as yours. Right. I've gained about six pounds of stress eating. Is that true? About five weeks. Yeah. Oh, wow. You did just eat half a pizza. More than half because you, you bitched out towards the end. (laughs) And I'm like, well, we can't. I wouldn't say bitch out. I would say made good choices. (laughs) Uh, that's probably true. We, we ordered a pizza. And we were just going one for one. And then eventually there were two slices left, one for each of us. I was like, cool. I'm not starving, but um, this one piece that I'm allotted here is I'm not going to carry it with me all day and then have it at home. You know, I can put away this one piece of pizza. Chris was like, no, I'm done. I'm like, now I have to eat both pieces of pizza. Yeah. And I did. And I, let me tell you something. I do not feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, we both have big deadlines. Oh, oh one, before we get into those, though, I do want to ask you on the topic of Sydney uh-huh. was uh, and something I, I was thinking about as you were posting about that. Um, I assume you practiced your audition a lot. I practiced it some, okay. and I also kind of kept changing what I think I want to do. Yes. I would basically try individual tricks on people as we would walk around and stuff like that. Okay. And so my, my question for you then was what... Did you find more or less value doing it by practicing by yourself versus showing it to other people? And what, or if you found value in both, what did like, 
What what were you learning about your your these tricks? Uh, practicing them by yourself, and what were you learning from them? Showing them to people. I would what, say. What, what did you like or dislike more? Um, I would say that I got more out of showing them to real people because, and probably the, to qualify that, the things I think I'm going to do in the audition are not super technical. Mm-hmm. So. As currently constructed, none of them require a zero shuffle. So I'm not going to be doing a zero shuffle in my audition. Right. Um, I'm not going to be doing anything technical that I have any doubt about doing. What if you did just those eight perfect pharaohs? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what if I did um, it's eight perfect? Is it out pharaohs? I think so. Because if it's in pharaohs, it's like 57 or something. Oh, like is that. it? Yeah, it's not a close number. Okay. Um, I'll just do that instead. Um, so a lot of it was. And this is where I think that um, chops is a, an issue um, where a lot of it for me is getting the muscle memory of walking through the emotional path of like the, like the first time I ever did a trick for like people for magic to do, like before we did a show on Thursday, like this is maybe a year ago mm-hmm. where I was like, Oh, I just learned this thing from this like Danny Ortiz video. Let me try to show it to you guys. Like my heart was racing in a way that it hasn't in years for anything. Right. Um, I know I already quoted him on this podcast, but I'm going to do it again. Um, uh, Jason Sudeikis, when he gave a speech, when he presented, Oh yes. Uh He said that auditioning for the castle was the scariest thing he'd ever done. Yeah. And I've met Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. I think that I will not be that nervous on Monday. I also think that, I think we've talked about this, but like, it's fairly low stakes for me. Um, the, the, seriously the only true stakes for me right now are that if i can get in on this audition i believe i can then go to the magic circle when i'm in london in september right like because as a sister membership thing mm-hmm. like that's the only thing i'll lose because i won't be a wreck in town to go to the castle anyway right um so it's very likely that i if i go to this and i fail i'll get notes and like, come back in um like october and right. try again um so some of this is the thing of where like I know what the method is and I'm kind of embarrassed. Like it's the thing of like, like, um, like in Thrones, the musical that we just did in Sydney, there's a reveal in the plot that now when I watch the show seems unbearably obvious for the entire show. Um, it happens to Eric's character at the very end. His character like is revealed. Oh, right, 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 right. Fool the shit out of me. And when I watch it in with public, I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, we really need to hide this more. That is actually a great analogy because there are yeah. many, many effects that I think of that fooled the hell out of me when I saw them. Yeah. And then when I do them, I go, this is too, this is too simple. This isn't fooling anyone. Yeah. And it does. <laughs> like, um, I will, I did this to you yesterday and I did it to a couple, I did to Theron, our friend from mm-hmm. the podcast today, this thing. Yeah. This is the uh, I've done this now. I've done this probably like eight or ten times, yeah. And it's fooled everybody that I've done it for, right? It fooled me, and I find it almost shockingly embarrassing I to know. do. I know it, it, that it's welcome, like, well, Chris, welcome well, to magic, welcome to magic. Because as I'm doing it, I'm like, oh my god, they're really just humoring me right. by like act pretending that they don't know how this is done, and I'm showing you like the dumbest possible thing. Yeah. I'm not gonna say what it, how did it's done, but it's uh, to do voodoo is the name of the who's it by. Rick Lax, your favorite. Um, so, Richard Lax. So yeah, uh, Mr. Los Angeles International himself. Yeah, 
He's the guy that lived in the the. Um, that's what the movie The Terminal was based on. Yeah. Rick Lax's life. Yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks was doing a Rick Lax impression. Um, I don't know where the, uh, the accent came from. Well, if I ever meet Rick Lax, I actually i I don't have. You gotta punch him in the. Face. No, no, no. I don't have any. I know people have strong feelings about Rick Lax. I don't really care. Um, but I will just ask him to pronounce Mnemonica correctly. How does he say it? New Monica. Like it, like it was spelled P N E U. Uh, Chris, uh, I'm asking this as a true friend. How, how do I say it? I, I'm trying to. He- I think you say mnemonica. Mnemo- <clears throat> mnemonica. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing mnemonica. I'm doing mnemonica. I'm doing a mnemonic. Tr- I think I do. I, I think I hit that you. Oh really? I mnemonic. Think I do. Mnemonica. Mnemonica. Do you know this? Mnemonica. No, 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 no. Hey, that's fun. Um, uh, so, for example, I'm. I feel bulletproof enough about this to do it as just like a little palate cleanser right. in my audition, because um, I think. Uh, at the very least, it'll be like a mini moment of like a little bit of mentalism that's just like slightly different than other stuff. Right. Um, I also would love over the weekend if I can figure out a way um, to do. Imagine a um, prescription bottle. Mm-hmm. I've been tr- I've been thinking I haven't worked it out yet. I would love to be able to say like afterwards, which number did you pick? Oh, seven. Can you look at this bottle and it says like thanks for picking seven. Oh, cool. Because I'm trying to figure out if on a prescription bottle I can put like eight outs mm. based on that because basically i'm thinking like top of the lid bottom of the lid bottom of the bottle i'm trying to find eight places in right. there today i thought oh i could put one pill in there that has a number written on it that's another one so if i could come up with eight i think that'd be fun to like that would be cool yeah top of the lid bottom of the lid uh-huh like take it off on the inside yeah. i think there's maybe spots on the label i could do yeah from the label back of the label yeah bottom of the bottle and inside the pill and then one, i two, was three four five i don't have six yeah i need eight I need eight. Oh, we're almost there. Um, the other thing I thought was, I could also just not do, like I could say like, if it's, let's say two and five, just not make outs for those two and just it, just show the bottle and just end the trick there. Right. And if it happens to be one of the other ones, go for that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I thought, which I don't have time for, it would be kind of cool to build a prescription bottle that had um, uh, like a, basically like a force bag structure where I could put my thumb over one half of it and like dump out, like if it had more than one pill in there, yeah. dump out one pill and be oh. like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That'd you be cool. Delete that off this episode. Yeah, so and, no and, and sell that. Um, um, so that's my deadline. I'm, I will be practicing over the Medicine weekend. Medicine by Chris Grace. Our fr- yeah. Um, our friend Theron is also uh, mm-hmm. going to be doing the same thing Monday. So we'll definitely have a report next week yeah. on how it went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, it's funny because almost everybody I talk to that's a magician is like, you'll be fine. Oh, no problem. And in my head, I'm like, you've never actually seen me do anything. Right. So there's a very good chance that I, I – anyway, to answer your question, doing it for live people has been more helpful. I see. Much more. Um, what I did uh, – oh, I had a funny story for you. Oh. Uh, the listeners of our podcast may enjoy. Last night after you left, you and Eric left the castle. Yes. I stayed behind and with uh, Mary Lou and Will. Uh, Will. Um, I saw a show with them. I saw oh. the late close-up. Uh, I saw Lou Serrano late close-up. Uh-huh. Very strong. He was the third performer that night to do the Ring, ring on a string? string. Oh, yeah, I man. Forgot, I forgot to mention that to you. Not, not, that, I'm, not that I'm here bashing anyone. Um, but uh, it happened three times. It was good all three times, but it was three times. And so they noticed it because now at that point, Mary Lou and her boyfriend had seen it twice. Yeah. And I had seen it three times. Uh, 
But he uh, he also did a, a trick that resembles a, a trick that was in the palace. Um, but I, I don't I don't want to spend the time bashing him. That's not. My oh, story. he did a, a four leg thing in the closer. Yeah, he had, he had four legs. <laughs> uh, and um, well, let me tell you, uh, he actually just did an f- entire close up set just and had four legs yeah, the whole time. Um, it's a deformity. It's really sad. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, it's actually weird. you said he's very good though. He was very good. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, he was charming too. I mean, um, he was like a, just a charming performer. He was likable and he was. He was like, uh, he was like cute. He was like a. Is he an LA person? Um, I don't know. Hmm. I really don't know. He's not at the castle a lot. I don't see him there a lot. I don't mm-hmm. think I really met him. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he really solid. Um, act- oh, the reason I we were in line for that show, I don't know what had brought this up. I think Mary Lou and I were just talking about Fringe, and we we're talking about you, and talking about the shows and stuff. And she very, uh, she politely commented she she, she really liked our dynamic together. Uh-huh. And I went like, Oh, uh, I don't even know what she was talking about. And I was probing a little bit. She's like, no, I mean, just like hanging out talking. You guys uh-huh. have a really funny, really funny dynamic. I, I like you two like bouncing off each other. Yeah. Like, oh, then you'll love our podcast. And then she immediately went, Oh yeah, I'd love to listen to it. I thought to myself, what a polite lie. <laughs> what a nice little lie. She just said, and I went, no. And then I just went, well, you're not a magician. So I'm sure you will uh, think it's very boring. She goes, ah, that's right. I don't have any, yeah, but I she do might, know, though. I know at least one non-magician that listens to this podcast uh-huh. uh, on the reg. Huh? Um, and I asked her to come to the fringe with me. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, shout outs to Aaron Hollander. Aaron Hollander, who will uh, uh, be in a play. Um, she's the lead in the play and a play in North Hollywood oh. called Proof. Uh-huh. Um, next, uh, this coming up this weekend and the next weekend. Oh, I should go see it. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you want to go see it because uh, um, I need to go see it. Um, yeah, the, uh, uh, Mary Lou says we're great together. Mary Lou, I think, uh, Mary Lou and my friend, I just think it's right. Your mic stand is getting old, I guess. I know. Uh, Mary Lou and my friend Megan Parks, who also loves magic. Who I've met. Um, both of them, I'm like, the thing you tell about, like, you should learn a couple tricks and like, just audition for the castle. They, both of them are like, you should do that. Cause I think, first of all, I know that they would like to have more women in the castle mm-hmm. and they're both very good performers. Yeah, like I've never seen Megan perform, but Mary oh, Lou Megan's is, incredible too. They're uh, both incredible. They're both very Megan from her Instagram. Yeah, I see the stuff she's doing. I'm like, you're probably really good. Oh, Megan is one of the. She is able to sell bad material in a way that I have not seen in a lot of people. Right. Like she can, she can do. It also sounded like like I've seen Megan do a lot of bad material. No, no, I mean you, no, because sometimes around. it's material that I've written for her, or like that was hastily given to her, right. or where I've seen her in a sketch, or like one of the things we'd worked on, where she in the moment on the page doesn't have very much to work with, and she is just able to like sell the shit awesome. out of it. And I'm like, she was great at your wedding. Yeah, she was really charming. Yeah, and I'm like, you and she has a little bit of that. Mary Lou and Megan both have the spirit of like. I could see them have thriving in like a variety arts right. situation. So those are people that I'm like, God, if I just, if we just taught you like four effects, right. you could definitely audition. I bet you would get in. Uh, it's dawning on me. It's probably not great content to talk about two people that only we know and no one else in this podcast has met. Or well, I'll put it this way. They're great performers. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about your deadline coming up. Let's talk about my deadline coming up. You I leave LA on, I leave LA um, on, at 10 PM on July 15th. So that is... It's in um, 11 days. There you go. Fuck. <laughs> Twelve oh one. happy birthday, America. Happy birthday, America. S- sorry you're poisoned right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Everything's fine. Um, it's, not, it's not fine. Uh, bad. It's all right. Kamala Harris uh, won me over in the debates. I mm-hmm. like her a lot. Is she your, your numero uno? Uh, 
I, my tops would be her, Booty Jedge, Booty Jedge, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with Warren. I like her. Cool. Um, I, I, that's about where I am. Uh, but honestly, again, I, I almost oh, want. I don't hate anyone. Yeah, I would. I hate one of them, but I would almost. Oh, I know the one you and Eric hate. Yeah, I would almost sit out the whole thing and just vote for whoever. Like I kind of don't care that much. Uh-huh. I, it's not that I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm like, let's just get to the final two and like right. just vote. Um, so I know that Biden is not ever the most progressive people's favorite, but like a Biden Kamala Harris ticket, I think would be very viable. Right. Um, and this is one thing I, I know there's not a podcast for, but I'll just think like strategically Biden and Harris's weaknesses to us on the left. Are, I mean, I'm pretty far left, right? Mm-hmm. So their weaknesses to me are not going to be weaknesses to center and right voters. Right, especially, uh, not again, don't get to political, but um, something that Chris Christie actually said on Colbert the other day. Oh. Because he came on, on each of the nights of the debates, he had AOC and then Chris Christie on to get a left and right wing perspective uh, on the uh-huh. debates. Chris Christie actually, he kind of took off his political hat, his Republican hat for a second and yeah. talked about the debates. And he was basically saying the reason, why, like Biden had a rough night and the reason he was, it was okay that he had such a rough night was because he was so far ahead. Yeah. And he was saying the reason things are looking good for him is because Trump basically won by 77,000 votes in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and uh, where he will do well, uh, Ohio. And those are like Biden's people. Those are like yeah. Midwest guys. Anyway, we don't need to talk about politics. Um, uh, back to the friends though. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, I guess it came up because you will probably be, you will feel self-conscious about being an American probably <laughs> in the French. Yes. Um, uh, and also the fact that they will know like, specific things about our politics that I won't know. And you won't know like yeah. who's in their house of Lords. Right. <laughs> um, the, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know who the Royals are. Right. Like I, in an improv show once I was trying to say like who the sons were. And it's I was Lord song, Chris. Uh, oh right. yeah. Isn't it? House of Lords. Um, no, uh, I was thinking Royals. Yeah. The son, the children of, in the Royal family are, is it Harry and Andrew? Yes. I think I said one of them names. Harry, was, Andrew, Paul, and Ringo. Yes. Uh, side note, I want to see that movie yesterday. That's fun. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. Oh, good. Um, uh, are you in the A-list? AMC A-list? I'm not. It seems like you should be. I know. Well, there's there's the theaters that are like the three or four closest theaters to my house are not AMCs. They're all Pacifics. The, all the AMCs are about 10 to 20 minutes. Ah. And so it's just kind of never like, it just feels weird to drive you know the truth. The reason I I grew up watching so many movies is that there were Pacific theaters. Um, uh, there are two of them, both less than three minutes from my house. Oh, okay. Um, so like between the two of them, there was always a convenient time to see a movie. Uh, so I would say grow between like you know so this elementary your, school to like high school, I would see a movie with my parents every single weekend. This is your movie theater of childhood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, mine is General Cinemas, which doesn't exist anymore, right. and Lowe's. Um, that exists. Oh, does it? I think so. Um, but it just feels weird to drive 15 minutes when there's a theater two minutes from my house. Yeah. How close do you think your script is at the moment? Um, you told me the other day you think you have too much. I think it'll be too long all said and done. I think that's good. Yes, it is. That's why I, I wrote I, I, I wrote those. I wrote six pieces, which is the finalized quote first draft that I sent off to about three people. Um, and then what I, what I wrote, what, what my, the basically the plan was all six of these will not make it in, uh-huh. um, because I think it'll be too long. Yeah. Um, some of them are very long pieces, uh, with transitions, applause, audience interaction, 
all of that stuff. How many of the effects in the current script are things you know you can do? There's one specific one that I'm curious about. Is it the inner monologue? No, it's the first like production of the deck. Yeah, I don't. That's probably out. Uh, I mean, like, I, you know, like I, I uh, there's it's man, it's been it's been rough. Uh, it, I, I learned a lot about myself and my writing process. I, and uh, I've learned some things about the way I write and the way I perform doing this. I will say um, I if I were to do this again, I would come at it from a different angle. I think it was a very solitary month. Uh-huh. Uh, not that you weren't available, or yeah. like Aaron wasn't available or anything, but it's kind of like I, I, it, w- it was a lot of my own thoughts. I, I, I think I wish I had a, a team of more magicians. I kind of came into this like, no, 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 you need theater people, not magicians. Yeah, uh, because you need theater people to see it as theater. Um, and to, to be fair, it sounds like your process was similar to what they described Helder's process being for his show. Right. So what I was basically doing I'm was... I'm saying you're as good as Helder. Yeah. Might as well do it the same way as him. Um, that's not true. I'm better than Helder. Yeah. Um, that's why I have a Better than Helder was the, my favorite band from the 90s. <laughs> um, no, Helder's great. Uh, no, I think... Um, the, so the way I basically went about this was... And this is still a struggle. And this is... I'm, I'm, I'm about to sacrifice some of this. And I don't really know how I feel about it. And I'm afraid that it's going to stick out. I, I, I don't know. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll be pretty out in the open about all of this is, uh, I basically can't, I, I wanted every single piece to be about something. Yeah. Um, I'm not a talented enough magician to in three months by myself in my bedroom, come up with an hour of original magic. Yeah. And I knew that going in, but I, I, I thought I could get a couple things. So then it became, uh, what pieces do I really like? How can I make justifications for them, et cetera? And then as many people have heard me talk about on this podcast and sort of develop on this podcast, I have then started um, uh, started pitching. Uh, I, I basically sort of talked through ideas. And there are a lot of concepts I liked. Yeah. What it's also happened is that the tone and theme of the show has changed significantly as I've put words to paper. Yeah. It, Method to the Magic used to be about, um, which is the name title, title of the show, for anyone who doesn't uh, know. It used to be a more sort of utilitarian glimpse into the, like, how... Yes, and it still is, but now... But it's more, like, in your brain now. Yeah, so, uh, so I realize, I, I think I am not... I, I'm sure that comes across in the jokes I make. I think your stereotype of, like, the, the kind of magician that I don't like to talk to and I just don't like are the really, really cocky ones uh-huh. where just like at any performer, I'm sure any, anyone in comedy has this similar, um, like dispersion of this type oh, of person. like total assholes like Johnny Ace Palmer. Oh, fuck <laughs> <off>. Johnny Ace <laughs> Palmer is the sweetest no, he's sweetie very sweet. pies. We saw him last night and I was, I was saying it would be funny if like off stage he was just like a total raging right. asshole. Um, but I mean, any like people who are cocky and just like are out in the open about how you don't want that in their stage character. No, I'm talking about just in real life. Yeah, right, right. I'm just saying, like, uh, there's just a level of confidence that I just have never, ever, ever had. And, yeah. uh, and like, when I meet someone who's really, really cocky and just, like, you know, I can fucking, I'll, I'll kill. Um, you know, um, the kind of person that blames the audience where they blame themselves, stuff right. like that, really bothers me. That being said, and, and there's a person that I've talked about off mic with you mm-hmm. um, who does not live in the United States uh, and is becoming a slightly more prominent performer. The poop. Who, uh, what the Pope? Yes, sick of him. No, but uh, there's a uh, performer we've talked about who I just who I've had some run-ins with who I just despise his energy and his like. This is how good I am. I'm so good. I'm great. I always kill. I just I, I can't stand him for that exact reason. Uh-huh. Who is this again? Uh, uh, 
can you remind me in a way that I that won't give away? Um, can you tell me what country he's from, or will that give it away? I don't know. He uh, he he. Um, oh, okay. I'm gonna say this in as few words as possible. Uh-huh. He performed a version of a trick on a television show that then I was not permitted to perform because they said it was too similar. Oh, I still don't quite remember, but okay, we can figure it out. Yeah, later. Anyway, you despise this person. Uh, yes, because uh, he's like an arrogant. So yeah, and it also wouldn't person. be like uh, you've had. Um, that's what I mean. Like, it's not just that like you don't like his actor or his whatever. It's like you've had. Yes, he's un- sol- a somewhat decent performer. He's yeah. a fine performer. Right. He's not a, t- um, a, a bad performer. He's not as good as he tells you he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that really, really, really bothered me. And it was just uh, anyway. All that to say, like I you keep so, talking. I'm going to type out who I think you're talking about. Um. And so I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I did uh, not know that this person was not American. Yes, he, uh, uh, yeah, he, he, he speaks with an American-sounding accent. Yes, yes, yes. Um, which I believe he actually. Uh, I won't say where he learned you it. He purchased from Penguin Magic. I purchased from Penguin Magic. Um, um, that's one of the. Kits anyway, there. so so what I, basically the, the the original conceit of the show was how can I give you real-world knowledge of a magician without revealing secrets? Because as I've said many times, I feel that. The the sort of that the behind the scenes the how did this get made the, the sort of the director's com like the uh, the commentary of magic um, is really interesting to non magicians I have found uh-huh. when people ask how I construct a trick and they're and they're always have been they've always been shocked to find out that it's not just learn a trick do it yeah um, and then, I think they're surprised that there is a there's more authorship over these right. tricks uh and by the way though what the thing is though it's not true for everybody yeah sure yeah so maybe they've been exposed to magicians that are more like right oh i'm doing double crossed yeah you know um so i the more i talk to people about like you know i have no problem talking to a layman about the psychology behind magic so right. long as i'm not revealing an actual secret what's interesting about the psychology of magic is that a lot of it still kind of works if i, if I talk about it in a very uh, abstract way mm-hmm. so like this is how things work um for instance, Roberto Joby in a lecture at the Magic Apple I saw last year talked about the idea that people think in holes, right? You don't check a chair that has, has four legs where you sit down in it when you see it there. Um, we, we don't sort of inspect all of the elements of, of that before we sit down. And he goes, they look at magic the same way. So when you when you can exploit that um, for magic, for for the uh, for a feeling of impossibility, that's a really really cool thing. So I don't mind um, talking about ideas like that with yeah. lay people, and I think they're really really interesting. And I think my goal, my life sort of life goal, to like bring magic into a little more mainstream artistic place, the way comedy is. You know, yeah. Nobody, I mean, I know some people, uh, you know, but like Nanette by Hannah Gadsby was a big hit, and yeah. that was a real fusion of like artistic comment and you know comedy, and that was a big hit that, that, that came very well. I know some people push back on it. No, um, it's great. It's uh, people who don't like it are stupid. R- right. But like, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but you're a stupid misogynist. But I, I'd say, uh, uh, magic is the only thing you could not make a net out of that would play well commercially. So wait, have I had this? Is, so I think I've had this discussion with a person in Sydney that I recorded an interview with that. I'm not sure if we're going to release yet or not. Okay. Um, but, and I don't remember if it's on the recording that, you have listened to or not, and okay. you haven't listened to the whole thing. Yeah. But a revelation I had while watching a couple lectures in Sydney was that magic, unlike comedy, um, there is no such thing really as anti-magic. 
Um, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I didn't get to that. Uh, okay. So I did talk about that. Yeah. I, I was wondering what your thoughts are about that. Oh, or I can't just remember if you just said it to me. So, no. Yeah, no I, that's completely true. Because I thought about it in, in, the, in the middle of a lecture um, in Sydney. Because I'll just read it right here. But basically, there's tons of comedy where the idea is playing with the idea of making you laugh. For example, in The Simpsons, there is a pretty famous thing where Sideshow Bob steps on a rake. Right. Have you seen this clip? He steps on a rake. It's in the Cape Fear episode. Is that where he steps on a million rakes? Yes. I can he, also do an all. I can, I can. I can do two impressions in oh. this world. One of them is Jimmy Stewart, and one of them is not Sideshow Bob. It's Sideshow Bob stepping on a rake. Uh, well, let's see. <clears throat> uh, hold on. Actually, let me get into it. <clears throat> so he hits steps on the rake. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's great. So by the that's, way, I, that's the that is maybe the best thing I can do on this planet. Basically, <laughs> what the, the amazing thing about that is that if you watch it in syndication now, if you happen to catch it on cable or whatever, I'm not sure what it is on streaming, but in syndication they would cut episodes down. So in syndication, he would only step on like four or he something. He steps on like nine in a row or something. He steps on like thirteen in the original. Um, and it's very much becomes almost a, that's very much an anti-comedy moment where it becomes like, uh, playing with the idea of like, we are making this last so long right. that it's unbearable and you will start laughing again later. Um, yeah, I, and I was even thinking like my, my, uh, you and I, you would talk to me about this comedian before my dad will a lot of the time on his commute home, which is like an hour. will listen to, um, one of the serious like, uh, comedy central channels. Uh-huh. Um, and some of the comedy he hates. Like uh, he's like some of these people aren't just aren't fucking funny. And then we were in the, we were driving in the car, and Chris D'Elia came on. And about twenty seconds later, he goes, "See, this guy just isn't fucking funny." Uh-huh. And I like Chris D'Elia. Um, I know. I know. I've heard he's a somewhat polarizing figure in comedy. That like yeah. a lot of people are like, "No, he sucks." Um, I I I've seen him live once or twice. And the times I've seen him live, he was great. Yeah. Um, I do not like his specials. Uh, right. But I think live, he's made me laugh really hard. A- anyway, that's not the point. But my dad also br- brought up um, Judah Friedlander, who he had heard. Uh-huh. And you said Judah Friedlander's great. And my he dad, like him? Uh, no, no, he loved him. Oh, okay. And he's like, oh, you could tell that this was all improvised. And he's just kind of really doing crowd work. Yeah. And that was really impressive with my dad. My dad recognized him from 30 Rock and stuff. Right, and, right, right. Um, I'd heard a little bit of stand-up, seen a little bit of it, but not I really mean, I saw him it. do just like... 10 minutes of just like right yeah what do you do what's your job <laughs> yeah uh what sports do you play in school oh you're a track uh you're like ran 100 meter right you're pretty good yeah i'm the best what was your what was your best time uh 10.2 i ran an eight <laughs> like it's just like no right no matter what you say he's gonna say something you about. could not have a junior freelander in magic or or you could not have a magic you could have a character like that who who performs like that and even interacts with an audience in the same way but when it comes down to the actual meat of the act the magic of it you couldn't do that Delgadio said this on you made it weird with Pete Holmes where he basically says like um magic cannot just by its very definition cannot be unplanned it has to be preplanned this sort of like weird spontaneous improvisational nature cannot really exist um in that, that is one way that magic bears a resemblance to juggling in that you couldn't, it'd be hard to do anti-juggling right. where you refuse to actually manipulate physical objects. Right. And have it still be juggling. At yeah, that point, then, it's just a comedy act. Then it'd be comedy. If you did an anti-magic act, a magician that, which plenty of people have done as like right. sketch characters. Um, I'm very excited because, yes, and that, um, the ones I'm most excited about right now is, uh, I, I am a huge fan of um, the play that goes wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, which is the Mischief Theater Company. Um, I have tickets to see it when I'm in London with my parents because I know my parents are going to eat that shit up. You're in London before Fringe? Yes, okay. I, I'm coming to Fringe from London. Awesome. Um, so uh, uh, 
they are they they were working with Penn and Teller that that company. I um, mean, they're creating they're doing a Magic Goes Wrong show. Oh, and they've done clips of it. They've done a couple clips of it, and they've been very good. Um, I think they've been very clever, and I'm very excited about that. And that'll, um, and both of those have mixed up some solid magic and uh-huh. a really really funny, uh, really really funny stuff. But yeah, but that's like that is that is comp. No one's buying a ticket to that to go see a Magic show. I, I yeah. don't think. Um, and anyway, so back to uh, what I was saying about my show is that I. I I realized I wasn't going to be good enough to um, create like an original, all original material, right. right? When it comes to original material, also in my company will be Luke Germay, and like we stacked us next to each other. I, I wasn't going to be able to hit that in the couple months I had to write this show. Right. So I started thinking, okay, well, how can I make this an original, authentic, interesting experience that is artistically fulfilling to me as well? Yeah. And I realized, I also realized in this journey that um, in my career, eventually, if I'm not doing mostly original magic i won't be artistically fulfilled if i'm just kind of like yeah. if, if i just if, if if my career consists of like a cool cool john-esque versions of popular tricks that just long term for me personally won't be artistically fulfilling right. I, I um uh whereas yeah. i'll be fine with it right uh so um so i started thinking all right what are other ways i can go about this so, so that became the premise of the show is how can i make every piece about something real about life as a magician so first it became that idea of the inner monologue thing which you know at every stage of this routine they would hear my actual thoughts about what's happening right yeah. when seven when you know that joke that when someone raises their hand you know you you're afraid to pick them because they're a little too eager because being on stage is sort of this fright supposed to be this universally frightening thing if they're just yeah. really into it that's sort of a red flag. A lot of magicians will make a joke about that, but there is truth to that that I think is interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, people, uh, ma- the magician is afraid of that person. I am afraid of that person. Yeah. I, I uh, you shy away from it, and, and you want to interact with them. You don't want them to feel completely left out, so you have to deal with it in sort of a graceful way. Which I thought there's no harm in talking about that. Yeah. Right. When we all have the experience where we have someone pick a card. And uh, and they just like aggressively grab while bending like the top card because they just know that they're gonna fucking get you that way. Yeah. The moment they do that, that tells you things about what to do next. Right. You you're gonna make these micro adjustments. I think that's really interesting, and I think there's no harm in talking about that. I no, think no, that no. all that does is deepen like, oh shit, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. This is not as novel as I had once thought. So, so it was a lot of things like that. How can I do as many real things as possible? So like this piece, I, this mentalism thing all, has some real information about books. And I bring out a real book that I like. All 12 have died. And I talk about it. And I give context for it, the types of books and magic. And I talk about the trick 12 have died, uh, the, the bullet catch, how it's killed 12 people. And um, I talk about danger and magic, th- things of that nature. And I wanted them all to have real, like, this is actually what it's like to do magic and mm-hmm. hopefully I could give some actually interesting information that would make people go oh shit that's, I, that's actually kind of cool I didn't know that because mm-hmm. in my life I've found a lot of people that have expressed that is kind of cool and I was having trouble coming up with more of those ideas especially that inner monologue that I just talked about having finding a trick to fit that was near impossible and I've come close and I don't but I'm, I, I don't know if I've completely solved the problem mm-hmm. um, so then it kind of became like all right, what are other themes and what are other metaphors I want? How can I get, and then I was also concerned about how can I give this show an emotional arc? How can I, how can I have all these pieces feel different, have different tones, different everything? Uh-huh. And so then I started realizing like, well, right now, you know, kind of deep into my 20s or mi- mid-20s, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm like, wh- what do I think about magic? What do I think about my life in magic? And what I was honest with myself was about was just tons and tons of insecurity about like the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this sort of like, is this 
am I doing the right thing? Is this going to work out? Am I making the headway? Because I'm, I'm not, I thought I'd be further at this point, as we all did, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, and then like, um, it's hard. It's hard to articulate now. I, I, it's funny. I thought about it so many times, but just lots of like, oh, all of the things that I value in my life that I want to have in my life, like a family, you know, uh-huh. uh, things like you know, uh, a, a wife, all, all these things like that, you know, <laughs> like, a, a wife, uh, my wife. <laughs> that's that's back, right? Yeah. That's back. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's well, back. I'm bringing it back, baby. Things things of that nature. I, I've always wondered, like, is magic going to hurt? you know, financial stability, financial security. Oh, yes. All all of those things. (laughs) Right. And so it's kind of like, you know, while all of my friends who I was in college with, given that I was uh, doing like mock trial and stuff, a lot of them who are my age are now like, have graduated law school and are going into like $200,000 per year job. So there's a lot of insecurity. I'm like, fuck, am I, did I make the wrong choice? Am I doing the right thing? Does my love of this kind of outweigh the fear and insecurity I have? Am I good enough to fucking do it? You know? Yeah. Like, is this a meritocracy? Is it luck? You know, I think there's more mer- there's more of a meritocracy in magic than there are any other performing art because it's so small. Uh, I think it's easier for it's. Easy- oh, that's interesting. There's more because it's small. What does that mean? What I'm saying is that it is it is. If I say I want to be a successful performer, yeah, it will be easier for me to if do you're that good to get like. It'll be easier to be good. Uh, let me put it this way. I could be a fucking incredible comedian and never get my break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, there's so many. The magnitude of... It is... If yeah. I were the... Let's say the quality of like a great, great, great comedian who's really incredible who just never quite had it line up in the right. lucky way you kind of need, you take that talent and you put it in the equivalent level of magic, it is much harder for that person to not... Um, I think it's also a measure of there's technical skill that is sort of undeniable in magic. Sure. That if somebody can do a certain level of thing, At some point it becomes less subjective than comedy does. Right. I would, but interesting about it being small and being more, uh, I'm very lately extremely skeptical of the idea of meritocracies at all. Sure. Like I, I think that this, it's a fantasy that like just the best people rise to the top in any field. I agree with you. I am being a little hyperbolic. Yeah. And I feel like a little general, uh, general magic has some more of those privilege based barriers than comedy does. Very interesting. So that makes it less of a true meritocracy to me. Oh, very interesting. Um, Um, and I'm talking mostly about like not whether like women or people of color at the like performing at the Magic Castle level mm-hmm. are as good as other people, but like how many people when they're between three and ten get the same access to like an encouragement to pursue an interest in magic. Um because those years between three and twenty are probably the years that determine how great you are when you're thirty, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. yeah, that's that's all very good uh very strong point you're like that's all great but but uh but, but anyway but but just back to my like my so there's a lot of insecurity of like am i doing the right thing and then the, then it becomes the thing every performer has of great well what you know if i let's say i abandon ship and just go on a professional route because i'm afraid of this yeah I'll, well, I always think like, oh, I gave up too early. I need to give it a few more years. But then the longer, the more years you give magic, and if I really devote all my time into that, then it becomes a thing of like, then I, if if I if I do have to abandon ship for some reason, then I'm I it's too late to start, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. something else uh, in the time frame I wanted it. I don't see myself. I'm not like I see myself leaving magic anytime soon. But these are things that I worry about and think about and stress about. I feel like you would be genuinely miserable if you weren't. If you didn't pursue it to a fuller extent. I agree with you. I also think that 
you could at the age of what are you 25 25 you could literally fuck around for 10 years and only be 35 right like that's an extreme luxury at this point Um, but it is impossible for me as a 25 year old to not see myself as very old right now you know what i mean yeah like i want to uh uh oh like a friend and i live with my so i was actually talking to an old friend of mine from high school and um she had just uh she had broken up with her boyfriend recently she they because um they wanted uh he wanted to move in together they both lived in san diego yeah uh, where she went to college and um she had just gotten this good job and she's doing exactly what she wants and um she had this nice kind of place to herself and she kind of liked living by herself. Not that she wasn't having a relationship and her boyfriend was who lived with his parents as well, sort of starting his own business wanted to um, like move in. He's like, wait, we can kind of move in together uh, now. And she sort of didn't want to cause she was like, I just, I feel like I have this good setup. I, I kind of like being able to live by myself for a while. She's like, and I'm so young. I don't want to rush into living with someone. Um, and what I was saying was, I mean, not that she was wrong. She was absolutely right to, say how she felt and then that led to a sort of natural um end of that relationship but uh what i was <laughs> you say that led to a natural end of that conversation <laughs> no but what i was saying was i say she goes i just and she's a year younger than me she goes, i just feel so 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 young right now that it doesn't feel right to rush into like living with someone doesn't i feel too young to do that uh-huh. i kind of want to just explore like living by myself uh longer and sort of learn more about myself which is all very valid and what i was saying was what what she didn't understand was that for someone who was like 25 who lived with his parents um, her boyfriend at the time, I went, he feels incredibly old. I feel incredibly old living with my parents. Interesting. So you feel more rushed because you're like, fuck, you're, you know, she's where she is in life. She's like, yeah, I feel so young. I have so much time. Whereas when you're right. 25 and you live with your parents and you're kind of following your dream, you're like, I'm so goddamn old. Uh, right. Cause you also feel like, like her life has probably changed a lot between 18 to 19 to 20 to 20, right. all the way to 24. Right. She's changed a lot of context probably. Yeah. Um, whereas, if you have been living in the same house. Right. But you didn't live there while you were going to college, did you? Uh, for the two years I was UCLA, no, I was not. Okay. But I was 30 minutes away. I was home a lot. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as like... Well, I think I do think all this is great material for the show. Right. So so anyway, uh, all, for our listeners, all, a lot of this is in the show now. I realize like, oh, let's fucking talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know... That is a way for you to differentiate yourself it, it, from... It's it's so funny that the way... Yeah, probably other magic shows. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, how many other magic shows even talk about this stuff? I don't fucking know. I mean, and that's kind of like, and and then you know, not that I this is at this level because it's not, not that I'm making this comparison really at all. But I was kind of like, oh, what, yeah, what if I could sort of make the net net of magic? Yeah, yeah. What would that be? So, for instance, I have the. the I think you can in the approach, the, which uh, is like just to be as right unfiltered as you can. Um, and I've heard so many. I, I, you know, I hear this story so many times, and it finally resonated with me like i had it in my head but then i kind of got it in my heart and yeah. i knew how to act on it but how many fucking times in your life have you heard a comedian say that they hit this revelation where the way to success or the way to originality was just by talking about themselves in a way no one else could i've heard dozens of people talk about that you know seth rogan talked about when he was like 17 in comedy clubs and he was trying to be an adult and these comedians the comedians advice to him was like no you're fucking 17 talk about none of us can be talk about being 17 you're like and then he's like yeah and then i you know he's seth rogan so he was kind of like yeah i can talk about like trying to get like my first hand job stuff like that he's like because no one else could really do that from an angle of a 17 year old pete holmes when the pete holmes when his talk show got canceled that's kind of then that's where crashing came from he's like well what he has a very interesting story about religion and his, you know, his wife cheating on him and him losing his faith. It's really interesting. So he kind of comes to this realization of, oh, I can, like, the the best story I can tell is my own. I yeah. can't tell someone else's story. And how many dozens of times have we heard that story? And so I realized, like, oh, if I'm just not afraid to talk about 
my own kind of fear of my own fear and love of magic in this very, very, very not reconciled way in my life. That's then there's more material. So now there are, there are pieces in the show that almost explicitly deal with like my anxiety and my lack of confidence. Um, right, right now the closing effect is silent and it's all about like giving real strong voice to the anxiety and insecurity I have yeah. from outside forces as well as from my inside uh, inside place. So that was kind of then how I, so that's sort of what the show has become is it's become a, a, a more personal dive into, um, yeah. Like when I wrote that, tr- uh, that, uh, trick, um, uh, with the water that I sent over to you, that is right now going to probably going to close the show. That was difficult. That took a couple whacks, um, yeah. before I like finished it because like I had to stop. It was rough. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah. So I basically for the audience, I, was, I, I wrote, I, I personified three major voices in my life. One has been from like, um, the, this kind of weird reaction I've gotten from like women, like <laughs> online, uh, to seeing like the novelty of magic. And there's been a couple of times where there have been people that I've liked that, and that's kind of slipped away and I could sort of tell it was because of magic. Uh-huh. Um, one of them is because one of them is, um, sort of an amalgam of professional. So that, so that becomes a sort of anxiety, anxiety of like, Oh fuck, is this costing me, you know, uh, like relationships, you know? And then I'm just, I know I'm very young, but I'm like, fuck, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want my, you know, my parents to have a relationship with my kids. I don't want, I don't want that time to run out, you know? Right. All of those things. And so then, uh, so, th- so I, I, then another one is like professional failures is I have people that have up front to me said like, it's stupid that you're doing this. I, I was, you know, a smart kid in college and I was talented and I, and I, uh, I was kind of lazy, but I was, I gave off all of the traits of like the person you kind of want to hire. I was friendly right. and, 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 you know, I, um, I, I looked smart and I was, I looked like a good, good kid. Uh, right. you know, I wasn't a hoodlum or anything. Uh, so, uh, basically, uh, someone looked at me and was like, it's stupid that you're doing magic. Take this job, um, that I'm going to offer you. And I kind of went after it for a bit and then it kind of fell through partly cause I was afraid to pull the trigger and then it kind of right. fell through. And then I think he sensed I was being flaky and he's, then it just f- fell apart. Yeah. Um, so that, so I think about that a lot. I'm like, Oh, where would I be if I took that job? Um, I wouldn't be, you know, going to Scotland for sure. But, yeah. uh, so that I think about that and I get a lot of anxiety from that. Like, was that a missed opportunity? Was that a good opportunity? But then I also, on top of that, think of the, failures i've had the last year or two there have been a cot gone for the biggest stuff i've gone for and it's some of it has gone well and some of it has not and some of it is, is really crashed and burned in very painful ways uh so one of the so the, and then the last one is me constantly questioning myself and my own abilities as i always have but now with these external things giving my inner voice a lot of weight so there's a piece in the show that uh that is currently literally gives voice to those things with the voiceovers of someone like expressing they won't date me because of magic. Yeah. So, you know, someone saying it's, it's, you should take a different job. Right. You know, what's the third one? Well, the second one is that plus produce like plus people saying that they, I'm, oh, right, you know, right. they don't want me to do something that they won't book me for something or, or whatever. Right. And the third one is me, um, agreeing with those two sort of because of those two. Mm. Uh, um, along those lines, I wanted to pitch you, Something a refinement of the thing that Eric mentioned to you. Banana bandana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a good trick. It's a goddamn good trick. Uh I mean if you can do the version of mine where someone snipers the ban- ban- banana. Right. Um and the person playing the banana is Luke Jure. Yeah. That'd be incredible. Um the 
the thing. Oh, Eric mentioned to you last night. What if you took, um, ripped up like the diploma and yeah, I've been thinking about that all day. So I had a thought. What if there was a way to have paper representations of like a diploma, the contract the guy offers you and something else. Uh, I don't know, maybe like a printout of your like Tinder profile or something. And they had um, some kind of graphic elements that were like big and dark on them, like Mm -hmm. either the word diploma or something large. What if there was a way to rip them up in such a way that they spelled out like the word and reassembled the pieces in a way that they spelled out the word magician and then you restored that to like a whole piece, a poster. So imagine like you've got different pieces of paper you tear up. You hold the pieces of paper in such a way that like the letter like M-A from diploma starts the word magician. And you've got like constructed the word magician from a bunch of disparate pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you restore that and it's one piece of paper that says magician on it. Right. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's like, because um, the thing I was telling Eric was like, if you just take things and then turn them into a, a different thing. To me, it almost, his pitch was like, his idea was like a, a diploma or like a contract or some piece of paper that I tear. And, and then, then it, it's a show poster. It turns right. into my poster. Um, uh, cause we were talking about a torn sort newspaper and he was saying, could you do this? And I went, I could, it would just be a different trick. It would no longer be a restoration. So be its own sort of thing. The thing I was telling him last night was the, my only issue with that version of it is then it's like, Oh, you switched it for this thing. Right. Um, and so doesn't seem as magical. It seems it seems like a trick, but it doesn't seem particularly like uh, not poetic, but like it doesn't have any like mm, extra meaning to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought if you could take the pieces of all these other options in your life right. and built out the thing you wanted and then restored that. Do you that, see that as replacing the thing that I have now? Or no, I was just going to mention it to you. Um, I don't know what where that would go. Right. Um, I also don't know if that would be possible. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, the main thing would be, could you graphic design three pieces of paper that you could tear in such a way that they looked like the writing of something else? And then so I could make it practice with it in 11 days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is what I would say to all of your concerns. First of all, don't worry about it. Right. There. Uh, because I do think, along with being 25 and being able to fuck around for 10 years, means you could go to the fringe five times in the next 10 years and put on truly terrible shows and then just do a great one in year 35. Right. Like, and you, I'm feel safe in saying that you will be a better magician at the end of August than you will be. Right. Simon Cornell, who had been to fringe. Yeah. He, uh, um, he made like a, a Dungeons and Dragons reference to basically like do you, she's like John do you play like uh, like RPGs where you gain experience and, and, yeah. and your character levels up I went I play a weekly game of Dungeons and Dragons continue and he goes by the end of the fringe you'll have leveled up twice yeah and I went that's really all I'm hoping for yeah um, I'm I, I basically I'm what I'm hoping for is serious experience yeah in a not easy venue also um and and getting to see inspiring work by other artists well those i can guarantee you will have the other well, thing, yeah i know that's the other thing though is that you will have been forced to write a show right that you probably wouldn't have written on your own in this next three right. months in in the time like in this six month span right being here in la i don't think you would have written yourself this right. show um, so it is an extreme version of the like deadlines create <laughs> like right. activity kind of thing. It really is. Um, but also anyone listening to this, um, and I'm just going to say it now to force us to do, <laughs> force me to do this. Yeah. Is uh, sometime this will probably come out tomorrow, right? 
Yeah. Um, sometime within the next seven or eight yeah, so days. Yes, we're going to try to do a dry run. We're going to try to do some dry runs probably in the afternoon in Hollywood, the Hollywood area. We haven't figured that. Uh, if you're interested in coming to that, um, hit us up on the uh, Setup Podcast Instagram, on my Instagram, John Accardo Magic, on um, Chris's Instagram. What I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing some dry runs. I'm also very, very, very curious to see what people think when they see this for the first time. Yeah. So you'll probably also be asked to like fill out like a little quiz sure um, that basically kind of says like what did you think what did you like what did you not like if you were to tell someone about this what would you say uh, because one thing that Taylor Hughes friend of the podcast he and I had lunch the other day and I picked he I sent him the script and I picked his brain about some stuff um, he gives me some very fuck that guy is so cool mm. <laughs> he's such a nice guy uh, anyway he um, uh, he offered me some advice and um, oh one thing he, he asked me about when I was like, and as far as marketing the show, he, he was like, what do you want people to walk away saying? I didn't have an exact answer. Uh-huh. Um, because now it is a combination of this old, like, like here's kind of behind the scenes look at magic. And now like a newer, like, um, okay. Uh, what if I walked away security. saying like, Oh, I never thought of magicians like that before. That's great. Yeah. If I can get someone to walk away talking about more than just the magic. Yeah. Um, I'll be, pretty happy more than just the like how did he do that right yeah if you if they walk away going like that was really interesting hearing about his like the personal side of it i my my dream of it is kind of like if i were to go up to you as someone who just saw the the show yeah um and you know i've heard rumors about like magic shows not doing great at the fringe or that being a tough audience for magicians have you heard that who you have that from um i heard it from well simon um and then i I heard it by proxy through someone else but i guess from uh uh, someone who's done magic of the French before. Um, I guess that has not been your experience, which is great. Uh, no, it hasn't actually. I've, I've, I, I do think there's a crowd of people that just go to see the magic shows. In fact, I almost positive that there's some local, either Scotland, Scottish or London or whatever based crew of guys. I have seen the same audience members. at a lot of magic shows. Oh, um, that's weird. That look now with this 2019 perspective, I realize they look like people at an IBM ring. <laughs> um, but so, uh, but, the, but, for, but okay, let's say you're an, let's say you're a person that yes. doesn't really like magic. Yes. The kind of dream would be if someone were to come out of the show, walk up to you and go, um, Hey, I just saw this magic show. No, no, but wait, 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 like, listen, like, yeah, is that, you know, uh, I think that you will get, you might get, um, a reaction, Put it this way, I think you should be ready to live with the the magic version of stand-up comedians saying that Nanette was not stand-up comedy. Yeah, that's fine. So if if a magician comes to see your show, they might be like, oh, so you just add a bunch of like personal one-man show bullshit to uh, stuff I can buy off Penguin or whatever. You know what I mean? Like You might get that from a cynical magician's point of view. Right. And you might also get the like, well, and I can do that too, but they are not going to. Like... Like you said, it's not like, like with Nanette, the thing about Nanette, people feeling it is so revolutionary. Can I tell you a secret? Still have not watched it. Really? Yeah. But I, but I've seen clips of it and I like her and I like the clips I've seen. I have a suggestion for you. Watch it and just transcribe the script and that'll be your script. Oh. Just if you can add some tricks to it. Oh my God, that's so good. That would actually be a very funny night, but in in a terrible way. Um, Um, But the, um, but like, I understand the conceit of the show. I understand kind of what it is. And I, I I would, oh, I would absolutely watch it. In fact, I would, the only reason I have it is because like, I, I'm, I want to watch it so much, but I kind of feel like I've never felt like 
the I want to be able to sit down and not think. A lot of the times I've watched Netflix over the last six months is to like distract from something else, like in the background. And I've never felt like I've I just haven't found that energy or the like the emotional wherewithal to like sit down and give this the hour that it deserves. Because I really guess this is what I would say. Pre- presumably, as your producer slash presumably director, yeah. Let, I think you should make that your homework to watch it. In the we next can, couple we, days. yeah, we can, we can, we can, we can advance past presumably. I think we're, <laughs> we're there. Um, um, this is what I'm gonna say. Nanette was a big thing here, right? But if you've gone to see UK comedy uh, or fringe stuff, her show was very excellent, an excellent show, but was not different than a lot of fringe comedy shows that I've I seen. Bet. A lot of one hour fringe comedy shows, one by Richard Gadd from like three years ago that won the big comedy award at Edinburgh, was, I'll just describe it. It was him running on a treadmill the whole time and doing pretty standard stand-up dad jokey kind of like jokes, which are, by the way, very prominent in British comedy. Even like the upper, the coolest, coolest, coolest comedian you can think of will still do like dad jokes. I have one dad joke. Do you want to hear it? Yes, let's hear it. You know, Chris, if you're in Los Angeles and you lose your khakis, you can't find your pants. But uh-huh. in Boston, if you lose your khakis, you can't drive a cab. Uh, Ouch. Okay. Do I even get that? Did I rush it? Wait, it say it again. If you're in Las Vegas, if you're, you're, if you're in Los Angeles and you lose, lose your khakis, you can't find your pants. But in Boston, if you lose your khakis, you can't drive your car. Oh, okay. Because the keys are in it. No, because the khakis, the pants. Oh sounds my like car god! Keys in Boston, khakis, khakis. Yeah, I'm just I, as as That's someone. The first time that joke hasn't gotten a heavy laugh. When I've told as it. someone who is presumably a comedian, I often don't get jokes got it um in fact what would that yeah, we can you? we can we can call that presumably did, did, I, did i tell you the joke that i recently didn't get oh there's a reddit subreddit called um uh big men's fashion okay that is like guys of bigger size wanting to dress well and um i posted a picture of myself from sydney because i bought these nice clothes from a company called rm williams in sydney that's an australian company i really like the shirts mm-hmm. I put a picture of myself on the subreddit saying like, cause people will put a picture of themselves saying like, I get this shirt from here. I get these pants from here, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, look at this. I think I like this shirt. And people were like, Oh, this is cool. And then one person was like, you look a lot like the guy from superstore. And then somebody else wrote, Oh, I wrote something like, does anyone know any other stores in Sydney that they like to shop at? And he said, Oh, you should try shopping at cloud nine. Uh, another commenter with no context. Right. And I wrote back like, Oh, cool. Uh, I spent some time Googling it. I couldn't find it. Um, oh, I found a place called something, something. And then literally, God. I would say four days later, I was just like, oh, wait a minute. And I had to go back and be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand your joke. Christopher Hitler <laughs> Grace. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, anyway, my point is, oh, let me describe this Richard Gadd show. Yeah. He's doing dad jokes. On a tread, running on a treadmill the whole time. Then occasionally they would go to a blackout and they'd show a video of him on iPhone footage. And one was like him throwing up in a bathroom, really drunk. One was him saying like... Oh, I think I know where this is going. Go ahead. That one was like... You didn't tell me about this. Okay. I'm just trying to anticipate. One was like, well, I guess I'm going to admit it now. I'm going to tell people whatever. And so there's stand-up jokes. He's running on a treadmill the whole time. There's inter- video interludes that seem to be like archival footage from his phone of some time in the past where he was very stressed out. And then halfway through the show, he reveals that like only, I want to say only like four years ago, he got drunk in a bar and was raped by a guy in the bathroom. Never mind. I was wrong. 
and then went to therapy and recorded his therapy sessions. And then there's like playback of the audio from his therapy sessions. And then there's still occasional stand-up dad jokes. And that show was brutal. And like, I mean, I've never, I probably have never seen a show that raw and personal. Wow. Uh, and that won the Edinburgh Comedy Award in like right. 2013 or something wow. like that. And so having seen that, you when didn't I get an Amazon series. Well, when I saw Nanette, I was like, oh, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, it's in the same ballpark. Mm -hmm. To contrast with that, let's say you do a show at Fringe that is, um, you said before that the strong magic effects are not your number one priority in this show. That's, let me give context to that because that sounds um, really shitty to say. The set, look, I, being under the stress of like putting this together and, and sort of like the fear and anxiety of it, I, I, this is bad. I know it's bad and I know it's kind of against ideologically that's something I talk about on this podcast a lot. However, like there's, a, there's an effect in my show that uses a mental epic. I know that I can put a mental epic in a show and it'll work because it's, I've seen it performed a dozen times and there's few variables as far as whether the trick itself works. When you pick up Tarbell, you can you can do those tricks knowing that they work because they only exist. They only are printed really because they work, right. with some exceptions, of course. What I meant was that what is more, it, it would be it'll be easier to find good magic that will can be put in the show off of you know a, a large index of books and all kinds of resources than it is to find like interesting premises to make a good piece of theater. Yeah. So what I meant, what I basically was saying was that I want to. The magic is not the number one priority because my priority is making a good piece of theater, and I know that there's good magic that is available to me yeah. that I already know, that I already do, that exists in books and DVDs that I own that can go in. But what I cannot just like put in is good theater, and that's really important to me. Well, now I know that there are dozens of people. Like if I called shoot and said, "Hey," if I said that to him right now, he'd be like, "That's dead wrong. You're you're wrong for saying that." The, the the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth priority needs to be the strength of your magic. Well, this is what I would say though that you can this show that you're writing, you can still do for the next three years if you want, right? Yeah. So there's a good chance that you can come back from Scotland and be like, "This this one little section really works." And now I'd like to replace the mental epic with something else. Which is the goal. Which yeah. truly is the goal. Um, so anyway, let's say that you did a show that's very personal, that is um, a very raw look at your inside of your brain, that has some reliable magic that isn't like necessarily the most groundbreaking. Um, how many other shows can you point to in the world of, and you know, having known all these magicians and all these different shows, how many shows are really like that? In Emotional? The yeah. Groundbreaking? Like... I can think you could of, argue that in and of itself was like that. That's what the, that's what I'm going to in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't argue that. I guess I would argue. You could say Helder show was like that. Yeah, it was. Cause that had a lot of personal emotion yeah. in it. Um, but so like two, there's, it's not like you can point like in comedy, you could find a list of like 20. Um, you could look at Neil Brennan's three mics, which oh, that's has a great special, but that's very personal. Right? Like you could make a list of probably 50 stand up right. shows that are like that. And you could also move towards, what in America, like the line between stand up and one main shows, or you could find a whole spectrum of shows like that. In Magic, I don't think you could argue that you can find even 10 at the moment. Right. Um, so, at the very least, it's an interesting direction. I think that the show will be very, you will be a better magician by the end of the month, but also I guarantee that the show will be different. Um, I would say. The show, I th honest to God, I think the show will be different every single day. Um, I would give you as an assignment the first at least 10 days to have Aaron have your phone videotaping that show 
and you that night watching that show oh, and making me. decisions about the next day. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I was all well. Here, so here's my fear. This yeah. is my biggest fear. Um, I'm, I'm, I accept it and surrender to it, and will you know, I'm, I'm not uh, afraid. I guess is a bad word to to go. You're not it afraid like of it, but this is your biggest fear. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm kind of like, well, this is a very real possibility. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's weird about this is given that I'm going this weird direction that I've never ever gone before and a lot of the material is brand new to me, there's almost nothing, and I mean truly almost nothing about this that is comfortable to me at all. Huh. It's, a different, it's a different country, it's a different audience, it's a different demographic, it's a different type of theater, it's a different type of magic, it's different material. Now it's a different character, it's a different tone, it's a different style. There's truly nothing about like what I do and what I'm comfortable doing that has um, a strong presence in the show. It's also a different governmental system around you uh, and a different healthcare situation. Yeah, I'm we're really stressed about that. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, so like, th- th- there's there's truly no solid ground that I feel I'm standing on. Well, so the, all the people that you're saying like like shoot and Simon or whatever, who you think would be like this is you shouldn't you should worry about the strength of your magic whatever i think would probably i don't know if shoot would agree this but like i feel like a lot of the people that you respect would say like you should do this like the fact that you oh, feel yeah. so uncomfortable with all these things absolutely um you know uh what you know um I, there was there is uh some magic stuff out in this area that i'm missing uh because of um this of uh, fringe yeah um and i was talking to simon about it i'm like yeah i'm bummed i won't be able to go to that you know for the first time in a, in a while like magic uh, live oh yeah like simon and i were ha- having uh yeah, coffee, and that's actually that's right. That's that is right because I just brought it up because I just canceled my Magic Live tickets, uh-huh. and this was a few months ago. Um, I'm like, I'm a little bummed to be missing Magic Live, but this will be, of course, be his own incredible experience. And what he said to me was, uh, he goes, you, he goes, anytime you have the choice between consuming or creating, you have to always pick creating. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. So, so there's look, there's no scenario where I walk out of this feeling bad. So that's that's the thing I'm anxious about is that there's no like, you know. Like the my my strength as a performer is not really represented in this show very well. There's a lot more acting now. There's a lot more emotion that I've never I've never really done like honest emotion on stage before ever. Yeah. Uh, Even when you were man in chair and drowsy chaperone. Oh, no, I fucking knocked it out of the park. <laughs> uh, Except you were pl- you guys were playing basketball, uh, but you still knocked it out of the park. Right. Um, um, no, but uh, uh, so there's that. My my, my fear is that because you leave what the tenth. No, I leave, the, I leave the I leave the twentieth. I leave after you. No, no, no. When you leave Edinburgh. Oh, I leave the 10th and I hope to come back on the 18th. Okay, you leave the 10th? Okay. So that's about 15 days we're there together. Yeah. Um, Here's my fear. My fear is that from July 31st, my first preview is, to about August 6th or 7th, every single day, we're going to be taking new information about the show and how it's playing and the problems with it. We're going to be tweaking every single day, moving things, taking things out, putting other things in. Um, changing the order, changing the tone, basically editing the show in real time. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, you know, like a stand-up comedian, like only just based off of data from the audience. Yeah, yeah. You know, my, fe- my, my fear is that like, we'll be about 11 days in, 12 days in, it'll be like August 9th, 10th, 11th, and nothing will make a big difference. And then I'm like, got it. This is just going to suck for the next two weeks. Oh. And then I'm just like guaranteed an hour of pain every day. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I would quote one line from your act that back to you, which is like, in a certain way, the stakes could not be lower for this. Because one thing you can relish in about the fringe is the 
relative obscurity of your show in the depths of this book that I'm I've handed right. to you. I'm gonna post we're gonna I'm gonna post a picture of this. I'm supposed to be sure of the thickness the of the thickness book. of this book. It's probably a pound and a half. Yeah. It's a um, heavy book. It's a catalog of all the shows. Catalog so, of all the shows. Uh, that'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It put, is, put it this way, you could have it is four hundred and fifty uh it is well, let's see, I just listed shows. Uh, it is about yeah uh, four hundred and fifty pages. I believe and that every and every show is about an inch yeah, by an inch. I believe that there are thirty four hundred shows there this year. Yeah, there are twelve. There are approximately twelve shows per page. There's about four hundred pages. So put it this way: you could have the greatest month of your life. You could you could do um, twenty seven yes. of the best shows you've ever done, and still have no one really make that big a deal. About There's it. a great Conan quote I love, uh-huh. kind of about this horrible futility of a show, um, where he's kind of like, "It really sucks because we do a show." Where we think we totally phoned it in, we think it sucked, we hated it, it came out as shit, and no one notices. Yeah. Then we do a show that we think we completely reinvented the wheel. We did some incredible work. It's unbelievable. We're super proud of it, and no one notices. Yeah. Um, it's just another show. I would say this: a reasonable best, a reasonable, very good case scenario for the month is that you get all the personal benefits you're talking about, your personal development, the fact that you've created a one-hour show. Learn from the process of that. Now, that being said, also in creating this uh, one-hour show, what it has turned into is not the kind of show that I can sell other places like I had previously hoped, like a cruise ship or corporate stuff, because oh. it's all very method and you know themed yeah. and, and stuff. So I'm like, well, that was one goal that it did not manifest itself. But also okay. you, but also like you know, Derek Delgado can't do in and of itself on a cruise ship. No, but he's 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 at a point in his career where he can make theatrical shows like that, yeah. where I am not. Um, um, well, so. The my very good case scenario for you would be that you get all those benefits and that you get um like a fair amount of people that are like, Hey, I saw your show and I really liked it and like or you have other artists come see your show and you they like it, or you either meet like some of the other magicians that are maybe they'll come check out your show and you make some connections that way. Mm-hmm. Or you meet some other artists from like other fields that you are interesting to you. Um, like there's going to be a fair amount of opportunity to like hang out with artists from other shows, from other disciplines, right. if you want to. Um, so that is what I have found. And, and certainly watching other shows and getting inspired, I think will be worth it f- yeah. just for that. Because the, um, I feel like you will probably be fairly aggressive about like seeing shows. Uh, um, yeah, I plan to see. Um, well, like I-, I, I find it on, I don't, feel like you're going to just be like, eh, I'm just going to sit in my room and like eat meat pies today. Like, I mean, maybe you will. I think it'll be a day or two like that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you also, I, what I anticipate is I, I just, I anticipate it being somewhat proportional to the success of the show. Oh, how much you'll go out. Yeah. Oh, like if I'm just fucking bombing every day. Yeah. I'll probably be like, I'm just going to go lie down. Oh no, no. See, I think that if that, if you're bombing every day, you should be like, I have access to, Probably five thousand stand-up comedians I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Like I can go literally watch twenty people I've never heard of, and maybe three of them are going to be like transcendentally good. Um, like that's how I would view right. it. Um, but I plan to see a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff. I've been looking up a lot, of, a lot of shows. Yeah, I'm looking. Like there's some incredibly cool things. That's also weird and bizarre. Um. Okay, we're at an hour and a half. Almost. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and you know what's funny? We haven't talked at all about the lecture. We, we should talk about on. lectures next time. Yeah. We um, we just saw Juan Luis Rubiales lecture at the Magic Apple, and it was where, where would you put that in the percentage of good uh, lectures for you? What what percentile? Top ten, top fifteen. Number or top ten percent? 
How present. many lectures do you think you've seen? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Not a, not a horribly high amount. Um, I've now seen six. Okay. I would say um, that's the number one or number two. I, quite frankly, I would say I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm <sighs> More than 500? No. Less than 500, okay. Less than 100. Oh, okay. Um, so it's probably in the top 20 lectures you've seen. Yeah, I quite. But, but here's my. I'll, we'll go into depth on why I love this lecture so much. Yeah. Not that it was a hundred. I actually thought during the lecture about that cookbook analogy you made, where it's kind of like a reviewer of a cookbook said, like, "There's two good recipes in here that I'll actually use. Yeah. Go get this cookbook." This lecture was like that to me. Fifty percent of these routines I will learn and do to some degree. Yeah. Um, because I think they're great. The fifty percent of the routines I will not do still have lots of value in them. And like his thinking, his. Basically, it just, it was another, it was just another like nail in the coffin of, of like, maybe that's the bad, that's a bad metaphor to mix here, but like, it was just another, you know, straw on the camel's back, as it were, of like, why aren't, why is there, why was there room in this? Robert, the, like two days ago, I told Robert was coming to this. He's like, oh, maybe I'll go. The fact that these, this pedigree of performers is coming here and someone can get a ticket a day, you know, a day in advance it's blowing my mind did he do the lecture of the castle by the way he did not okay so at that lecture but it, it was great and people should go see it and like well but at this lecture how many other working magicians were there there was you robert howard yeah but there weren't a ton of other like wor- workers or whatever that you recognized that that uh that french woman who sat in the front row i believe she's a professional magician okay she's performing at the castle at least uh-huh. um I don't know her like and uh, like Eddie seems like a budding, right. but like in terms, I mean, based on some of the audience questions, some of those people were not anywhere Jesus near professional. Christ, some of those audience questions because some of the this this the audience questions were questions about things he had explicitly explained in the lecture. Say, say just a fact to me. Just oh, okay. say just say a sentence to me. Um, well, I would say that uh, the biggest state in the bottom half of the country is probably Texas. I can uh, I ask a question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so based on what, you, what is the biggest like? What, what do you think is the biggest state in the bottom half of uh, the United States? Oh, uh, I think I said that before, but it's probably Texas. Oh, it's okay. So you're saying it's Texas? Yeah. Got it. That was the the equivalent. It was yeah. like he literally. Did, I to the point where I was even. I asked a question. So about a the the a coin trick he had explained. Um, that I was a little embarrassed. I'm like, I hope he hasn't explicitly said this. It was yeah. about the setup of a trick uh-huh. and he gave the idea of like, it kind of needs to feel like this, but I, it wasn't clear to me if he had an explicit, like it yes, needs yes, to yes, be, yes. you know, the size of the coins and where they are. Right, right, right. Um, I'm like, does it need to be, do you have an exact one? And I, and I like to think I got a very damn, I, I didn't feel like I was just making a repeat. Himself. And you got a very good answer too. Yeah, I did. Um, um yeah. The question I was going to ask was in that one flippy thing when he had the people go backwards I'm pretty sure this is true, but he didn't explicitly clarify that you can't have them go backwards to the very beginning of the notebook. Because if you do, the disparate thing that you've created in the move will show up. I'm 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 not exactly sure where you're talking so about. So there's the trick. two of these extra, yeah. and then you flip them over so they're underneath. Mm-hmm. So when you close the thing back, they're in sync, right? Yeah. But when you don't close them back, there's two extras sitting under that. King, right. Black King, right? So if you flip backwards and backwards, at some point in this pack, you get oh, to yeah. the last one. Two cards left. And that's done. Yeah. And then there's two cards left here that you haven't seen before. Right. So I'm assuming that you just go back a couple and then you go forward. Sure. Well, we, you both have it now. Yeah. Oh, that's um, true. By the way, I will say 
he does not charge enough for his materials. Yes, he does not. We 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 got a lot of good shit. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's next week. Let's really break down this lecture. Yeah, it's a great lecture. Um, uh, the the Magic Apple has been responsible for some of the best lectures I've seen. That was the first place I saw Roberto Joby lecture. Yeah, fantastic. Shout out to Brent. Uh, yeah. Also, I met Stephen tonight, who listens to the podcast. Yeah. Who? Uh, what's his last name? I believe it's Bueller. Uh, who happens to be? I hope Jesus uh, Christ. Hang out or work. He works at the, the the Apple, I think, on a weekend. I asked him, and he was very Stephen. You were not clear about your answer. <laughs> I think he, he was. He works there. Yeah. Um, he's the how about this? He's the one I talked to when I booked this le- when I'm like, hey, I'd like to go to this lecture. He was the one that took down oh, the credit card information. Cool. Um, and Theron was there as well, our, yeah. our listener. Uh, um, oh, also, it's interesting. In Sydney, I encountered some people. Um, the in Sydney and through Facebook and a, like a couple of things, I encountered people listening to our podcast that I didn't know would. And some of them I, I've, we have like mentioned. And so now I'm getting a little self-conscious about, I'm starting to get a little bit of like where, like if I talk shit about somebody, you're always just like, Ooh, I don't want to be here. Right. Uh-huh. And now I'm like, Oh, I need to be careful about what I say about certain things. Cause it's, you have not told me this. the world is very small is all I'm saying, especially in the world of magic. Right. I will say, I mean, when, when, si- when I was hanging out with Simon one day and he was trying to hook you up with people, yeah, he did ask for those people. He asked me to refer to some like, Chris heavy episodes of the podcast. Uh-huh. So he's like, are there somewhere like Chris like shines? I'm like, I don't remember shines. No, definitely uh, not. Um, and I'm like, you haven't met him. Um, yeah, that's not a thing that he does. <laughs> uh, that's excelling at a thing is not Chris's like brand. Like, I, I like, and I'm like, I don't, so I like, I'm like, here's an episode where Chris improv, uh, Sam, the oh, boy, no, stuff no. like that. Um, so I don't know. Did they actually listen to it or they, was it people that maybe referred to it by si- someone like Simon? Uh, one person was like, I listened to a couple episodes and one person was like, do they like it? Are they positive about it? Or is it no unclear? Uh, but I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, And then the other person was like, um, Hey, thanks for the shout out on the whatever. And I was like, Oh, cool. Which is, I mean, I didn't say anything bad about him, but, but I I know who this person is. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you both their names afterwards. Um, Jesus Christ. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, last thing I will say is if you want, if you're interested in seeing a dry run that will happen sometime next week, yeah. do not know the day or exact time, sometime during the week, during the daytime, yeah. um, uh, hit us up. Uh, set up pod? At, on Instagram. That would be set up podcast. But our Gmail is like set up. Our Gmail is, I believe, set up pod. We, we, we really, we really oh, did not, we? We, we didn't get the best, uh, best I, domain. there's a very, our, our email is set up pod gmail.com. That's two P's yep. set up pod. Uh, our Instagram is set up podcast. My Instagram is at John Ricardo magic. Chris has two Instagrams. One is Chris Grace Comedy and one is ambitious.chris. Yeah. So uh, on any of those mediums, hit us up if you want to see this and we'll we'll add you to like a email blast about where yeah. and when this will happen. Um, and then and next week we can talk about lectures. We can talk about my audition. Um, uh, yeah. Where can the people see you this next week? Magic Castle at 8 o'clock in the audition room. Right. I don't think Crash it. Come in. Uh... But you know they can be on Monday at 8 o'clock. Magic Bar LA. I will be hosting Magic Bar LA next week again. With one of the handsome men of magic. Yeah, um, I'll be there. Uh, this is the first time I'll be there both nights. The Max Bialystok of magic, magic, John Carney. That was a bit of a throwback, a bit of a callback there. to a. Yeah, I showed him a clip. I showed a clip of him to Eric recently, and Eric was like, oh, he should be in the producers. 
That's funny because you said that to me months ago. Yeah, yeah. Because he has. And I would be the Leo Bloom. Yeah, you. I'm serious. You guys should do a magic version of the producers. <laughs> um, yeah, go check out magic. It's Monday and Tuesday, right? Monday, Tuesday, seven o'clock, nine o'clock. Um, I mean, I, all I know is that today Magic Bar posted that there are te- seats available. Yeah, seats available. Uh, what I might do is, depending on how my audition goes, uh, go there and be like. Ooh, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to get to watch him perform in that room and kind of see how he makes it his own. I've, I've only seen him perform in a couple, one place outside of the castle, yeah. two places, and one was a lecture. So just getting to see him work, you know, one of the greats work that room yeah. uh, will be really exciting for me just to watch from the side. Come see it. It's fucking John Carney. Yeah, uh, he's incredible. the most rewarded person in the Magic Castle ever, I think. Yeah. Or up there. Uh, what are you doing? Up, uh, buy, pause this and buy a ticket. Or don't pause it. And buy, still buy a ticket. You can yeah. do both. Well, it's almost over. So it's just, almost over. Yeah. We'll see you next time. See ya. Oh, you're right. It is almost over. And now. <laughs>